You are listening to Rouge, White and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Rouge, White and Blue CFL Podcast. Hey, time to review week one. I'm Oz Davis. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Pritchard, back from Winnipeg, back from Canada, back from the banner-raising ceremony. How was your trip, Joe? It was fantastic and well overdue at the same time. Okay. Any particular details stand out? We can talk about the game later on, but anything special of note? Maybe one of these little babies, the championship ring. Oh, nice. Very sweet. Yes, it helped. Uh, it helps to show up at the bomber store when your season ticket holder friend is picking up his. He has two tickets, wow. so they give him two rings. So, well, who's standing next to him to take the second one? <laughs> nice. So, is that Zircons or what? Uh, this is, uh, I don't even know exactly what they're calling it, but basically it's the glass and steel version, the one you can pick up for like. 50 bucks still looks pretty but nice. if you want the real thing that it's going to set you back a few more dollars <laughs> oh well yeah i mean i heard they had what did they have like 33 diamonds in it it's a lot of them yes yeah it was it was referencing some historical figure i forget what it was but i've been thinking about getting one of the lakers ones for a long time because those are pretty neat just to like, you don't want to wear it every day, but it's pretty neat to break out once in a while. Very nice. Yeah. Did you get one for each? Did you get one for each? No, year? no. They were giving out the 2021 version when I when I happened to be there at the in the right place at the right time. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You could probably score the replica on eBay or something like probably that. Probably could. Might look nice and for 2019. Might look nice here, but. It, probably cost me a pretty yeah. penny too yeah pretty pretty soon you'll be able to do the kobe thing man be able to be able to fill one hand with the five rings right well i got two I hands like tw- so they better start working i, <laughs> I think that's what kobe said <laughs> when he started winning rings i got two more fingers and one more hand <laughs> All right, let's talk some CFL football. Now, specifically, we're going to do a little bit of navel gazing here. Uh, Last episode of the Rouge, White, and Blue is the 200th episode of this show. Uh, Of course, we haven't been doing that every week. We often take off seasons off a little bit. We had a 2020 just like everybody else. (laughs) We did maybe like five or 10 shows that whole year. Yeah, maybe. There was that, like most other people, mm-hmm. right? We produced very little in 2020. Um, and so regardless, last week was episode 200, which we celebrated by doing pretty much absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't know about you, Joe. I, I've told you this before, though. I'm, I've never been like this really fond of these round number sort of arbitrary celebrations. But... Lots of people are. <laughs> and we received a very nice uh, notice on Twitter, a tweet uh, from the Canadian Football Countdown podcast guys over there just congratulating us on the 200th 
episode, whatever. Joe was probably in the air when this tweet came out going, going there to Winnipeg. But, you know, I responded with a thanks and then just sort of like thought about the things that have happened in like forever since we've started this thing and the, the sort of history that we've seen happen to some extent in the CFL, both on the field and off uh, both individual players, teams, whatnot, the league itself, whatnot. And I thought it might be a good idea, you know, just to kind of take stock of this six and a half seasons, let's say, uh, that we've been around. And so I propose that Joe and I just individually come up with a list, six, seven events, uh, whatever, whatever that have happened in the league since we've been around. And we're just going to kick those around for a little bit. We won't spend too much time on it. Well, we might, we might go down wormholes on this, but we probably won't spend too much time, but you know, just, Nice to take a look back once in a while, especially since Joe and I are sports history geeks anyway. Um, we're going to get started with the serious ones because I'm pretty sure Joe and I have the same story at number one. Uh, so I, I, But first, before we get started, I want to give out the no prize. I want to give out the special no prize to the headline event uh, that came up but was once again never delivered on. And it appears may never be delivered on once again. In October 2018, Maritime Football Limited and Randy Ambrosi, CFL commissioner, then new CFL commissioner, started making overtures about we're going to have this expansion team in Halifax. Uh, around that time, they announced the name, of course, would be the Atlantic Schooners resurrected from 1983 or whatever. And <clears throat> at this time, just prior to the 106th Grey Cup, which may come up later on in this segment of the podcast, um, they announced, you know, that the target year to join the league would be Joe. Do you remember? I don't remember exactly, but it's probably already passed. 2021, 2021. There's, now, there's been a few things that happened in between though. So, you know, of these course. Things yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of fairly significant things. Um, in short, I just wanted to cut right to the chase to this in early 2021 effectively spiked uh, the Halifax Regional Municipality Council decided to discontinue work on the stadium funding project, not the construction project, but the funding project indefinitely. Um, and this decision was made according to one council person, quote, there has been no action or activity on this file for an extended period of time. Of course, 2020 exacerbated this situation. But unlike the league, which survived, at least for, for the nuns, um, the Atlantic schooners were killed by COVID. Um, this is a crying shame, isn't it, Joe? Well, third time's a charm, so see you in about 30 years. <laughs> You really are the master of the positive spin. You really find the upside in this. Okay, so I'm thinking about 2061. 
which, you know, this is kind of the era where Arthur Clarke is writing books about. Okay. So that's like the future if they stay on. Well, I mean, at this point, they've been, they've been a science fiction project anyway. So why not? (laughs) (laughs) How about it? How about it? That's one of those things you see in science fiction, right? Where the guy's like, He's in in a back to the future He's in the future. And it's so weird that the Chicago Cubs are winning the World Series. You know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, it's so weird that Halifax has a CFL team. This must be the future. In any case. okay, Joe, give it to me. Number one story. I don't know. I don't really put him in any sort of order, but I I did kind of think about how when we started, we started back late 2015 i feel like we had a week or two before the regular season yeah and it just it occurred to me that we pretty much come full circle on the show 200 episodes chris jones has left edmonton and came back to edmonton so it that was one of the first big stories that were that was occurring when we were when we were first starting to get rolling and we were i I remember being at the great cup that year and hearing the rumor it's like whoa somebody didn't keep their mouth shut on something that's that big right before the big game so didn't seem to affect edmonton that day but well we'll have to see if he can ever get him back to that level okay okay great all right this actually ties into a couple of things that I was going to uh, talk about. Okay. Because I went the other way on this. Um, I said, okay, I have a couple of notes from the very early couple of events from the very early days of the podcast. Uh, I had as number six in importance of my seven, the Ottawa red blacks getting to the gray cup in their second year of existence and then winning in their third year of existence. Okay. Not only that, um, of course, this cemented Henry Burris's, uh, you know, resume forever, you know, this reputation forever. And in that second great cup, uh, 39-33 over Calgary in overtime, this has been pretty much the best gray cup we've seen. I mean, just in terms of excitement, in terms of recency bias, um, things like that, just for the age, it was it was a nice hallmark. Now, we've seen in North American sports, we've seen uh, tremendous success by expansion teams before Uh, the the Panthers and the Jaguars were competitive pretty quickly um, within a few years. Uh, the Marlins won. I guess like Golden Knights to, to tie into yeah, right. some of our audience anyway. <laughs> Most recently, the Vegas Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup in their first year uh, of existence. Of course, a bit of a special exception there, right? I mean, obviously, the NHL had a bit of an overflow of talent. Uh, they were the only expansion team, so they had their pick of players in the expansion draft, uh, certain things like that. But, you know, not making excuses for the Knights. I mean, that's a big deal. Well, same thing for the Red Blacks. Uh, It was really a shame that Ottawa was without a CFL team for these many years. And it was really nice to see both them and Henry Burris, you know, get some glory um, real quickly with this team. Plus, I really dig the Red Blacks name. 
I really like it. It's another original name in the CFL. I like their logos. I tend to like their their uniforms, uh, especially when they're not playing Calgary wearing red and black. Um, <laughs> I I I I picked the in fact three of my um, three of my points three of my stories are basic three or four are actually based on teams. Uh, another one that I wanted to talk about going back to our introduction um, of the show was uh, the bottoming out and the recovery of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Right now, I'm sure you at least look fondly back upon this first part uh, after getting finally getting that great cup win in 2013 uh, the riders and head coach Corey Chamberlain and the front office had to live with the consequences of ransoming your future uh, completely bottomed out by 2015, probably the worst season of the CFL we've seen. You could make a case for the red blacks last year, at least for the first half of last year, but wow, that three and 15 year was really brutal. And then five and 13, the following year wasn't much better, but then, you know, guess what? The Chris Jones effect, right? Chris Jones is all over our era of the CFL, Joe Jones takes the helm in the next four seasons after that five, three, 15, five, 13, they get to the Eastern final. They get to two Western finals and one West semifinal. They lose in elimination games by four, five, seven, and three. And that first year they made the playoffs, they very easily could have gone from worst in the league to the Grey Cup and having crossed over, which would have been fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> that might have been number one or two on my list if that had happened. So just a really very interesting um, wave that the riders have gone through in this time period. Now, <laughs> what, what we're in the post-Jones era again. So we'll see what happens here. But interesting that this team hasn't won a well, I sure you don't find it as interesting as I do. They haven't won a great cup the entire time we've been doing this show, and yet they always seem to be in the forefront of the news in one way or yes, they've been they've the been season. relevant, absolutely. Uh, either yeah, either in a negative light, it's super either competitive, in a, either in a negative light or a positive light. So uh, no, no nine and nine, and and quietly bowing out of the playoffs early. It's been big boomer bust for them. Right, right. They're not having the BC Lions thing. <laughs> They're not having this like miss the playoffs, barely make it, miss the playoffs kind of run. No, 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 all or nothing, all or nothing, almost all or nothing. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. What else you got from, you know, sort of, I don't know, I guess the middle period. There. Well, if we're talking about, or if we're talking about franchises and how they're, and how they've been functioning, we caught the middle of a of a Calgary wave where they were top dogs in the West for decade about somewhere in that area. They would then win the West every single year. They didn't make the gray cup every single year, but they were always in the hunt and quite often were the ones that came out of the West. Um, probably going to be 
probably don't get the credit they deserve because a couple of the losses in the Grey Cups where they could have racked up an impressive amount of championships in this last, you know, seven, eight years, and they left with only about, well, in our era, one, but right before that was a second. So uh, instead of having, they're very, very close to almost filling a hand in this time that we've been doing the show. So uh, no other team could say that they've been on on the top of the league as long as they have. Oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> we touched on this last week. Um, this team has how many great cups? I think it's like nine, right? I don't even know if it's that high. Yeah, well, it's some really low number because almost all of them have been in the 21st century. And yet, this is a team that's been around in the CFL since the beginning. I mean, they've been a loser for a very long time. And, you know, it became sort of as we were doing this show, it became a cliche to compare them to the Belichick and Brady Patriots. But that's certainly what their 21st century looks like. They have built a culture of winning in Calgary now that really did not exist there before. It just did not. No, and, and, that's, um, and that's a culture that they're their province rivals Edmonton had for 30, 40 years where not being on top was not acceptable. And they kind of took that over uh, in the 21st century from Edmonton. Sure. Edmonton's one of few, but it seems like they they've been over the past 20 years, Calgary has been taking that mantle over. And it's something that, we're going to see how this new regime in Edmonton does, because that's going to be their goal, obviously, is to be is to go from about as low as that franchise has ever gone to go see if they can get back to what they used to be, which is not going to be an easy endeavor at all. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's another thing that's happened during our run so far is Edmonton went from being near the top of the league. You know, they, they had some bounces um, the years before uh, they bounced up and down some, but they were up at the top for a few years. And then it just came crashing down as we've been doing this. Yeah. The, the it, basically, I, I think the only team that has been consistent um during our entire run if you want to go micro but again this past 22 years is calgary that's it that's it that's that they've been the most dependable franchise in the cfl every almost every other team has had if not a golden era at least a nice run of gray cup uh appearances uh, the riders have Edmonton did right before we started. Um, you know, Toronto snuck in a couple in the in this century. Um, you know, Montreal had their run in the aughts. You know, take your pick. We they've all got some wins, but Calgary is always there, always there. You know that you know they're always going to be near the top of the table. Um, and, and no other team is like that in CFL. Now, Edmonton, I actually did not have them in there uh, as a story in general, except, and I would like to comment on this because the people in my life are very happy about this. I had as one of the most 
is one of the biggest stories, the name change. Um, this has been, <laughs> and like I say, people in my life have had to put up with my rants about this for about 30 years uh, prior to this. Not specifically about this team, but, you know, specifically the Washington pro football team in the States. Uh, but, you know, all these sort of teams, you know, the thing about Eskimos is, you know, I don't think that's a slur or derogatory necessarily, but like Indians in Cleveland, what it does show is just, you know, the ignorance of 18th, 17th century colonizers, you know, and that's why you get rid of that name. You know, it's a token of the past, you know, and plus I like Elks. I like that they kept the EE. I like the logo. I mean, it looks a little bit like the, uh, the, uh, there's an insurance company, a mutual of Omaha. I think it is. They have a similar logo with the elk on it. Okay. Maybe they can get some crossover advertising there in the States, but, um, but I like the logo. I like how they kept the colors. And uh, if people in that province still have a problem with it, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, get with the 21st century, I would say. I do. I do. Um, I but, do think the timing of the change helps draw a line between the past yes. and the future for the Steve. Yes. Yes. Well put. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why people like me say this change was a long time coming. You know, is that, yeah, that line in the sand, I feel like could have been drawn yep. a long time and they ago. Were, they were, at, as they made the change, they're at the very, very bottom. And with the new name, they're going to be going, get, their trajectory, tra, uh, trajectory can be nowhere but up right now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, these things have happened with football teams before, not quite on the same level, but you take the example of the Broncos. They changed their look. They changed their look entirely. And within a couple of seasons, they were in the Super Bowl. They didn't change John Elway, <laughs> you know, and it was just like it just set the tone for a new era. Same with the Patriots. Patriots haven't had that success, you know, with the old logo, <laughs> with Patriot Pat. Uh, so, uh, all right. Um, okay. Let's see. I put, okay. I would have to say, we've already talked about some interesting teams. And of course, we have one more team to talk about after this one. But for me, in terms, just in terms of history, in terms of news, in terms of this podcast, whatever, for me, the most interesting team in our term has been the Argos. Right? When we started in, in 2015, there were already attendance problems, right? And you combine that with the whole BMO field thing, right? So now all of a sudden we're, we're, we're getting into debates with Major League Baseball. And wasn't there a women's soccer, like uh, the Women's Soccer World Cup moved some games too from BMO field, I believe. Mm, they were, they were moved for, from Rogers Center. At one point, that's right. Rogers said, which made right. getting out of there a little bit more. Imperative. Right. right. There's the whole thing with Rogers Center and BMO Field. Um, 
There was this thing with assumed ownership by the league. Uh, there was the crazy snow-filled gray cup with the stamps after going nine and nine uh, in which, and I'll tell you what, we were talking about the stamps before. Between this gray cup, the gray cup with the red blacks and that um, playoff game against the riders that they won, but didn't cover the spread. These guys have cost betters a lot of money. <laughs> the stamps have. <laughs> Man, I was so happy. To and by betters, do you mean you? Uh, well, that I know of. Look, I mean, I know that the majority of betters, for example, in the Argo stamps game had the stamps covering that spread. For sure. I mean, the money was on the stamps uh, and also the under, which was the good bet to make in that game. Um, and then, you know, they've been doing you know, that was when they were nine and nine, still a team in transition. They had a very strange year last year with the sort of like build your team. They've become this year a legitimate top contender and still there's no attendance. And on top of everything else, and this was this was gonna be my story number four, and the main reason why it's story number four is because it was a lot of ado about nothing. You have the whole XFL thing, which there's still stuff coming out about vis-a-vis -vis the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, just last weekend. I have it right here. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment Chairman Larry Tannenbaum in an interview with the Globe and Mail last weekend gave a lot of big, long quotes about the state of the league. Um, he was, I'm, I was working on it, you know, so some thing with the XFL. I'm not sure if there's alignment with the other ownership groups of the other eight teams. The community-owned teams seem to be satisfied with what's happening in the CFL. My concern is in the major cities of Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, it's not attracting the younger fan engagement. Uh, questioning how the CFL measures success and basically suggesting that it's no longer financially tenable and this is a team that might win the great cup this year so toronto argonauts <laughs> wow could win the great cup in november could be extinct in january crazy i don't think we go that far uh well no no but, no but if if tannenbaum had his druthers they would be playing, his club would be playing some kind of American football. If Tannenbaum had his druthers, he'd own an NFL team. So I don't know what his druthers <laughs> have to do about any of this. So, well, okay. Okay. But that's probably a lot more money that he realizes. Uh, I believe a guy called Donald Trump ran into this problem too. Uh, it's a lot more money than he thinks it is to own a friggin' NFL team. Uh, so, but. I just think I just think it's interesting how the importance of this team to the league is so disproportionate to the fan interest of this team. You know, this isn't the Yankees. You know, this isn't where people are interested in the team and they have a huge effect on the league. 
it's it's a very interesting situation and it's really only gotten weirder over this past six seven seasons yeah and yeah it's a dynamic you don't see down our way at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah traditionally money talks in the states in state sports uh right okay what else uh what else you got what else you well, want to talk about maybe we can talk about the emergence and this is a more recent development but the emergence of the canadian quarterback Ooh, we're talking about we're going from a time in when we started in 2015 where the thought of a canadian quarterback starting was like a pipe dream and now we've got a team in bc that their top two are Canadian. Edmonton's got one hanging around too that's that they quite seem to like. Um and and it seems like that glass ceiling that's been there forever and ever and ever has been shattered. Now, we're not talking about nine teams rushing to go sign Canadian quarterbacks, but there's movement on that front for the first time in a very, very long time. I think in the short term, you're going to see a lot of that because of all these fly night leagues in, in the States, you know, these guys that are washing out in the NFL are giving these leagues a shot, but in a couple, three years, these leagues aren't going to be around. So at least in the short term, I think the Canadian quarterbacks are going to stay in Canada. I also think that you just want to talk about this point because you're stoked because you won with Nathan Rourke. In your fantasy team last week. Well, that's a, that's a possibility too, but can't do that this week. So sorry about that. Sorry about the uh, fantasy advice coming one week late on that front. <laughs> oh no, no, I took your advice. I switched up. Yeah, save my save my bacon, so to speak. I didn't win, but at least I did respectably, well, somewhat respectably. Um, okay, I just have a couple more from the from the recent uh, past. I had as the number two uh, event, and I'm sure that in greater history, people are going to look at it this way too, but, you know, the canceled season, right? And and not just because um, it wiped out a year of Canadian football and basically a year of the Rouge, White, and Blue as well, but um, just because of the response um certain things that had to happen. Um, the fact that people had to come to grips with the economic reality of the situation. And even some have suggested to some extent, this whole XFL thing, uh, and this whole like debate that was around for a good 15, 16 months about four down football. You know, does the CFL need to change the rules to make it more American and whatnot? And a lot of this had to do with the pandemic. Now, like so many other things, and you know, this is what people have been saying, the pandemic simply exacerbated, simply sped up a lot of conditions in society and entertainment, in sports, whatever, in technology, whatever that was already there. Look, Joe and I are doing this on Zoom right now. Odds are, if it weren't for the pandemic, we'd probably still be using Skype. Okay, but during during the pandemic, everybody became a Zoom expert, right? Well, this is one of the things that changed about the CFL. And I think the recent bargaining agreement, we can uh, collective bargaining agreement, we can also 
a tribute in part to, you know, the realities brought on by the pandemic. Look, the truth is, is that at one point, Ambrosi went before the Canadian Parliament and said, gee, we could really stand up to $150 million in funding. And I guess the parliamentarians, you know, legitimately looked at this and said, hmm, well, at least one third of your employees are Americans. So uh, we don't think so. <laughs> so the thing is, I think the pandemic really brought home the fact that this league needs some workable solutions financially. And, and the pandemic gave all of us a lot of time to sit and think for better or for worse. So mm-hmm. some of the ideas that came out of that have advanced the world quite a bit. Some of them, <laughs> not so much. Well, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, the shortened season last year, the, the, and the weird schedule things last year, um, probably wasn't a perfect solution, but it was a very good solution. It was very good. Um, the, the only bad solution out of that would have been not doing it again. What do you mean? Like, like this like, year? No, like having 2021 resemble 2020. Oh, cancel the whole season. No, they couldn't, nope, have, done couldn't have. They couldn't have done that. So right. I looked at last year like uh, they can do whatever they want with the schedule. They can make it as crazy as they want it to be. Uh, I'm just not going to complain. It's going to be time to go do the football thing we've been missing. And next year, yeah. I'll look at the schedule and hammer on any inconsistencies or issues or whatever. But this year as long as they play i'm happy (laughs) it was it was i mean i i thought their solution was decent Mm. you know i'm sure it wasn't perfect but it wasn't as bad as major league baseball you know i don't think it was in in my view the winner well the best performer in that was the nba uh i thought bubble basketball was awesome uh, it was, there was really some interesting pluses to that situation. And I'm not just saying that because the Lakers won the title that year. Uh, but um, we got a good season of football. I really, this is a big what if. I really don't think that the Bombers wouldn't have won with that roster and the other teams being what they were. The truth is that I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but every single player that was signed for 2020 was offered the extra year, right? So they're basically given a do-over for 2020, 2020. One. Am I right? I can't remember anymore. I know that there were some players that, went back into free agency right without right. having played in 2020 with their new team right because free agency right. happened in february of 2020 and everything went crashing down in march so there was some movement right. some players signed with teams that they never ended up playing in so uh, right. at, at the very least it helps it helps some players toward their kevin glenning of their careers but uh, <laughs> but only technically but only technically well i mean, I, I mean we counted it. He was in Toronto for an hour. We counted it. So, oh my God, that's like that one where Carmelo Anthony got traded to Atlanta, and then they flipped him immediately. And you know they gave him a jersey and everything. It's just like, dude, 
you're literally ours on paper for like two hours, <laughs> you know, but and that's going to go in your bubble gum card, right? Come on. Now. Come on now. That's going to go in your pro football reference thing. I mean, come on now. Um, so I guess from a foot, from a purely football CFL standpoint, I guess the only or the major minus to the pandemic season, you know, to the canceled season was that, and this was my number one story, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers don't get the three-peat. Look at the three-peat. There, for me, this is the top story of, of the Rouge, White, and Blue era is this repeat. Is this back-to-back? It's the Bombers, man. It's the Bombers. Um, you know, they... Even if we had played 2020, they probably would have ran back the majority of the roster uh, from the 2019 Grey Cup winning team. Again, they looked like they had a better roster going into that 2020 season uh, in February and March, whatever, before things came crashing down, as Joe said. Um, This is a great team. This is a great team. I mean, this is this is the team of the Rouge, White, and Blue era. You can talk about the Stampeders looming throughout the whole thing, but the truth is, man, Winnipeg is 1-2, and they did it sort of back-to-back. I, I would consider it back-to-back, yes. Um, and who knows? <laughs> Three's on the table, too. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're the bookmaker's favorite, for sure. So, um, Okay. Anything else? Anything we missed? Oh, I'm just glad you brought up the bombers and it wasn't me. No, 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 no. See, I thought for sure. See, I thought you were going to rank them. I thought you were going to have bombers number one. Cause I mean, to me, that is the story. Look, I mean, like you could talk about the off field stuff all the time, but we're here to talk about football. Right. Yep. And, 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 the, and that and is the, the story. And the bombers do tend to clump their championships together too. bunch in the thirties, bunch in the late fifties, early sixties, bunch in the 80s and and 90 and then now they got a couple more left in them i'm sure <laughs> you're sure as sure as you can be about I mean, these things <laughs> <laughs> it's um, history i'm you know, telling you <laughs> you know when the tiger cats had your quarterback they were pretty sure too <laughs> i could have put in the tiger cats as one of the stories of this era but no no way <laughs> no way i dislike them too much all right let's talk about the present or i should say the immediate past let's talk about last week's games um okay now whoops <laughs> i almost did something bad on zoom okay now you were at the winnipeg game we're going to talk about this one next did you get to see the Calgary Montreal I game? I saw all four games start to finish. Oh, good. Was, all right. Had, staying Saturday um, because of because of a because my government decided to let me come home on Sunday without a test instead of Saturday with a test and being able to change a ticket for free. Uh, sold. I'll stay here and watch six hours of football with some close friends. Thank you very much. So, start to finish every single one. Nice. Nice. Well done. All right. So Calgary Stampeders 30, Montreal Alouettes 27. I just wanted to say that I enjoyed this game until the fourth quarter. 
I do want to say that um, this team really sort of played to my fears on this one. I don't want to, I don't want to say I'm free of confirmation bias, but I don't know. This team doesn't seem very deep in the depth chart. I mean, it was nice. Again, the first three quarters, this was, this was a nice game for us, but I think that this is going to be a very easy team. This is my overreaction to week one, that this is going to be a very easy team to look at the tape at and figure out. For example, um, like I, implied in last week's show uh, Eugene Lewis, Jake Weineke and Reggie White accounted for 10 of the 18 catches and 19 of the 32 targets. That's probably a little bit more than I would like to see. I was actually surprised that a few other guys did get targets. However, we're already down to our third halfback and uh, Jeshroon Antwi I really should have paid attention to them saying it on the broadcast was, I guess, competent, but really he only wins six carries for 28 yards. He had the nice 70 yarder, but other than that, man, it, it looks like we have three receivers and half a running back going forward here. Now um, you did you did you, you did end up getting Walter Fletcher from Edmonton for a sixth round pick, so he's gonna yes. and I've yes. heard nothing but good things yes. from people that are paying attention out that way, so that may help mitigate some of the damage a little there. It might take a couple yeah, weeks, but I think you've got something to look forward to there. Yeah, let's let's hope so because I don't like the schedule for the next couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> The, what do you uh, what did you take away from this game? What did you make of the stamps and 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 how do you, you you're the optimism guy? How, how did you how did you see the owls? Honestly, I saw the owls play about as well as could be expected. Uh, you know, Adams is going to make mistakes here and there, but I thought he played a pretty solid game all told. Uh, they could after his first pass, yeah, after his first pass. Sure. It was great until the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. Uh, Calgary Calgary also played well. It was a game between two teams that looked like they were firing on almost all cylinders. Of course, Montreal had, had the change at running back, unfortunately. Um, but it looked like both teams were firing on all cylinders. Uh, helped, it helped Calgary had, uh, had Jake Mayer to pull off the bench when Bo got hurt. Um, came came in and made the difference really at the end. But I thought both teams, it was one of those games where both teams played well and you really couldn't be too, too upset to be on the losing side of it. I guess, but geez, I mean, that was, you know, it's a long season, but still we're going to, I think in Montreal, they're going to be looking back at this one, you know, late in the season going, damn. Oh, of course. Damn, and down the road against one, one of the better Western yeah. teams, it's one that it's going to be hard to know you've let slip the, slip away. Yeah. But I think Could have stolen. I, I, it's also not one of those where it's like, oh, we, we, we blew it either. They got beat by, they got beat by a team about as good as they are. And maybe, maybe even slightly better, but they left 
they left it out there. They didn't make too many. They didn't make like a huge, terrible backbreaking mistake where Calgary wasn't, you know, that got Calgary back in it and fired them up or anything. It was a, it was a good, good, well-played game both ways for the most part. Sure. Yep. Yep. Vernon Adams was solid enough in the second half, 10 of 17, 111 yards, one interception, one sack. Um, you know, not awesome, but at least the, you know, the, he's relaxed. The gunslinger stuff isn't really there. The first drive quote unquote by the Alouettes, uh, was really looked really terrible, but, uh, kick off that rust a little bit. I mean, the first play was a broken play right off. Adams had to tuck and run with it. Second play crossing crossing route from out of nowhere. I don't know. I don't know what Lewis was doing there and, you know, bounces off of him and does a weird pinball thing and interception. Okay. After that, you know, the Alouettes looked pretty good, but I don't know, just a little something missing. Oh yeah. The running game. And by the way, fantasy football players, you won't be able to overpay for William Stanback for six more weeks. He's on the six week list. So, so much for that. Uh, I'm going to move on to the big game, at least in Joe's estimation, Winnipeg Blue Bombers 19, Ottawa Red Black 17, the hanging of the banner. Uh, before we get into your thoughts, your impressions on this one, Joe, I just want to clarify something. Last week, you took a score of 35 to 20 in this game. Now, what you meant was, correct me if I'm wrong, the two teams together are going to score about 35 and neither team is going to top 20. Oh, of course, that's exactly what I meant. Right. Okay. I did some creative translation for yes, you. Yes, thank you. Clearly, very, thank you very much for understanding uh, that I was actually right when I was terribly wrong. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's you make you make me sound so smart every single week, and I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, I was wondering a couple of things. I was wondering a couple of things, um, and and I wanted to know your your thoughts on this. Okay, one was because I thought that the Ottawa defense, especially, played really well, um, but it may be a consequence of a couple of things. How much did you think? Paula police being more familiar with this offense helped for one. And the other question is, is how much is Winnipeg still trying to sort of come back to that loss of Andrew Harris to sort of replace those skills? Actually, you know, I think where Paula police was most successful, not so much, maybe, maybe helping his defense, of course, but I thought his play calling was brilliant for three quarters. Yeah. Um, don't really know yeah. what changed in the fourth, but they had they had Mazzoli and a veteran quarterback, so he knows what he's doing. Helped keep him away from the Winnipeg rush. Three-step by going in shotgun all the top. Three-step drop, balls out. Uh, Seven-yard out was there all day. Yeah. And yeah. when Winnipeg came to try to attack that, over the top of their heads, but it was three steps and gone. And they stayed that way for three quarters. And then later on in the game, they started to get away from that. And that's when the offense sputtered. So I'm not really sure 
what changed or if they thought they saw something or if they thought that Winnipeg was catching on to what they were doing, but they were most effective when Mazzoli got the ball and got it out. It yeah. kept Winnipeg's pass rush from being a factor. Uh, as far as Winnipeg's offense goes, uh, I don't think Andrew Harris would have helped this week. And the reason I say mm. that is because on running plays, which Winnipeg was very predictable on offense in the first half, run, mm. pass, punt was what it after the first drive anyway. Um, when they were running, when they were running the ball, the offensive line was getting no push. Uh, Brady Olivero is making having to make his jump cuts or his moves two yards in the backfield. And when you do that, you're not going to get a lot of yards. It, it wouldn't have been any much different with Andrew Harris either. Maybe slightly different type of running style. Maybe he gets another yard out of those carries. But when you're averaging like 2.5 a carry, what's the difference between that and 3.5 on first down? Not a whole lot. So it put Winnipeg in a lot of situations where they had to throw for first downs and had to throw long for first downs. And that just wasn't there until later in the game, they were started to get out of that pattern and started to be able to move the ball a little bit more consistently. We'll talk about this a bit later in the show, but the rematches next week are, do you think that you are more or less scared of Ottawa next week than you would have been uh i think this game honestly ottawa i'll play winnipeg the whole game but that's the difference between a team that that knows how to win and a team that's learning how to win ottawa Mm. left so many opportunities on the table and they came out brand new because they have so many new players this year well yeah winnipeg hadn't seen them last year either so this is a fresh this was fresh for winnipeg Winnipeg's yeah, got a weak yeah. game tape now. They also know Paul Lopolis's tendencies. And let's be fair, Ottawa had the ball for a long time and moved the ball well, but only scored 17 points. There was a lot of talk either beside me or other places I've been listening to that was wondering what was wrong with Winnipeg's defense because they weren't destroying Ottawa. Ottawa was giving them the opportunity. Mazzoli wasn't make, wasn't put in a position to make mistakes. Mazzoli wasn't put in a position to take sacks. So I I thought the game plan, like I said, the three quarters is brilliant. What happened after that? I'm not sure. But with, with now have with Winnipeg now having seen that and knowing what worked then, maybe they made some sort of adaptation third, fourth quarter this week already. I feel like they'll have a better chance to come out and be that dominant defense because now they know what they're ex- what they can expect. The where I'm worried is the offense. I want to see some more push on the offensive line. I want to see holes. I want to see Oliveira downfield for five yards before first contact sure. once in a while. If they could do that, I think they can sweep them. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so what you're saying is is that I should run with Oliveira on fantasy again? I'm not saying I'm man, not saying I that. Was... I want to ah! see I want to see <laughs> I want to see that offensive line which is bringing back four out of the five starters from last year. Yep. I want to see them yep. be that offensive line again. And it wasn't there yeah. this last week. Now whether that's because Ottawa 
loaded up on defensive line, whether that's just Winnipeg came out overconfident, I'm not sure. I think I'll have that answer in two or three weeks, but I don't have it now. Okay. Uh, where were your uh, seats? Uh, pretty much midfield. Uh, if you take the TV oh, nice. camera and pointed it up, that's where I was at. Uh, about nine rows up <laughs> on the upper deck. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Was was the was the banner experience fun? Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the seats were great. The weather was fantastic. I great. could have done with a little bit more dominance, but I mean, I I, I came <laughs> home with two points, so I'll take that any day ta- any day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, plus, you know, I mean, it was. It was a fairly compelling game. It was. I mean, it wasn't wasn't a sloppy game. Yeah, and we haven't you know, even talked about how it finished yet, have we? <laughs> go for with it. Zach Calero, <laughs> with, with Winnipeg being down a point because of a missed extra point, Zach Calero right. scrambles for a first down on, on second and 10, I want to say. Uh, takes a headshot, though, and has to come out of the game for three plays due to the injury spotter noting that. Uh, not going to yes, get into whether right. that was the right call or not. Cause I believe in my heart, it was the right call and I'm not going to argue that, yeah. but drew Brown comes off, off the bench, a different look, a different style of pass than Ottawa had seen and just rips Ottawa rips, rips Ottawa's defense apart. Yeah. And that's what happens yeah, sometimes like, when that... you have a new look that late in the game, they're so used to right. doing one thing and now you're throwing a change up on them. Right. See, see, between the bombers, I'm glad you brought this up because between the bombers and the stamps Mm -hmm. already, we're seeing that number two quarterback and the importance of that player. Um, The same thing happened in Calgary. I thought is that Meyer came in there and they were not ready for this guy. They were not ready for him to play um, this week. They had not studied this guy. So and I think the same thing happened in Winnipeg. I thought it was great that they left him in. You know, I thought that was really nice show of confidence in their new guy. Uh, but yeah, you you got to pull you you got to pull Calaros in that situation. Yep, absolutely. And the good news for Bombers absolutely. fans is it looks like everything's okay, and he'll be back this next yeah. week. So yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty obvious immediately thereafter, just the way he was acting and stuff. That there was no drama there. But you got to do it. You have to do it. If, if you're doing it for, for this guy who's obviously, you know, messed up, you got to do it for him to you know, cover the whole spectrum. You know, that's don't that's your brain. Do not mess around with that. Right. All right. Let's go on to a game which result. I probably enjoyed a lot more than you did. Saskatchewan Rough Riders 30, Hamilton Tiger Cats 13. Ha! This was a great game. I love this game. Uh, I thought. Fajardo looked cool. Dame Evans did not. Um, I mean, it's, he didn't look that great. And then you look at his stats, even worse. 18 for 28, 222 yards, one touchdown against two interceptions. However, 71 of that 222 was on a single play. And 45 of that was yards after the catch by uh, Dunbar. So, you know, not a great showing by the tie cats on offense. Uh, I, the other note that I made specific, well, actually I should point this out too. the, uh, the riders did what they've done these past two seasons when they take over a game, which was just crush on the pass rush, uh, eight sacks, 
four forced fumbles all behind the line and two interceptions in this game uh, for the rider defense. The only note of concern I had for the Riders was, you know, Fajardo had a great game, but I did not get what was up with Shaq Evans in this game. Uh, he had some really nice catches, four catches for a hundred some odd yards or something, but he missed um, or 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 didn't connect on six of the seven tar- uh, six of the ten targets. And, and the thing was, is for John only missed 10 times the whole game, you know, and he didn't miss anybody else more than once. So I was, I was really like weirded out by this. Um, it was really, really the only outstanding black mark on the riders in this game. Um, Joe, what do you think? Because my impression was kind of that, um, nice show by the riders came out strong, but this kind of already feels like a team that could burn out too early. Yeah. And I don't think Hamilton came out all that hot either. Oh, they were, no. they oh, were no. flat the tall. whole game except for a strike or two. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the Dunbar, yeah, Dunbar, right. Dunbar was good. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so this is a game that I would have expected the riders to take over a lot sooner. 18 points in the fourth quarter. Great. They were able to put it away and make it clear that they were the dominant team in the fourth quarter, but they let that Hamilton team hang around way, way too long for how they were playing. Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess was, you know, there's, there's that sense of urgency, right? I mean, like at some point you're going, wow, these guys aren't going to (laughs) score. You know, we can, we can play field position. Right. For a while, you know, until we put it away, at least they didn't have to resort to the backup quarterback. Right. No, <laughs> at least at least Pichardo didn't have to get knocked out of the game. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, so I don't I don't know. I wasn't that um, I was never. Worried that the Ticats were going to win this game. No, they, they clearly, they clearly the weren't. Hand, they clearly weren't with it that day and i mean hamilton going out west is a questionable thing at best usually so yeah yeah but hamilton's gonna have a long season joe if they don't put up against the west because their mo has been beating up on you know montreal and either toronto or ottawa these past few years and that's not going to happen this year that's not going to happen yeah, so and you do, and you West, do worry about Dane Evans being the only the only quarterback they have that they can rely on right now, because he's been in the system a couple of years where he, they've had Mazzoli there, and Evans had come in if Mazzoli was hurt or ineffective, or but now they're asking him to take it over. I have the confidence he can do it. It's just that I do want to see a little bit more out of him in the next couple of weeks to show, yep, I'm taking this. This is my job. I'm going to go forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. One wonders because, geez, you know, a couple more games like this, and he's going to start looking like a lifetime backup. You know, he's going to look like a guy born to be a backup quarterback, you know? So, you know, um, so we'll, we'll see fingers crossed for him, but I don't know, man, that was, is it, and if the line is going to keep playing like this too, I mean, it's just like, I mean, I know the riders have a good pass rush, but just, 
that was a bit over the top. Uh, they, that was like Swiss cheese in that game. But not quite as bad as, wow. I mean, okay. BC Lions 59, Edmonton Elks 15. I guess the first question I want to ask is, did you on some level enjoy this? And, and like, how deep of a level was that? I really felt good for BC fans. I really did. Yeah. They've dealt with. Yeah. They packed the house. They packed. They, they packed, sold out. They packed the house as much as the house could be staffed. They packed it, and it was yeah. really good of the BC fans to show yeah. some faith in the new ownership, uh, the new regime in place, to show them we'll be here if you give us a show. And did they ever get a show? <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about that again in a second, but I'm glad you brought this up, too, because I was shocked, and CFL Twitter has been going off on this for a few days. I was shocked, for example, at how many empty seats there were in Saskatchewan. I was shocked. Uh, Calgary, lots of empty seats there, too. That was surprising to me, too. I assume Winnipeg was sold out. Winnipeg looked pretty friggin' full. Yeah, it wasn't complete a complete sellout, but it Let's see. They say 26, actually, and the place can hold 32 pretty comfortably. So, no. Really? No. No. But they're usually usually in the range between 25 and 30. Well, it it looked full. It looked full. Which is interesting. Which is interesting because a lot of the times it doesn't look full when it is because everybody's at the rum hut. Yes, but, I, you know, the TV guys know how to how to shoot the, the full sections. You know, they, they ever since the XFL 1.0 back in 2000, okay, they've learned how to make those shots, you know, where you don't have to show the crowd or you show the bits of the crowd that look full. But there was nothing they could do this week for that Calgary game and for the Saskatchewan game because the seats are red. The seats are green. You couldn't like cover that up. Or, or I think it's Saskatchewan. The seats are black. And like everybody else is wearing green. So it's just like, you know, you, you couldn't fake it. You know, and I was just like, I was really disturbed by that, especially since Vancouver sold out. You know, I mean, it was just like, what is wrong with you people in Saskatchewan? Jeez. And, and those guys had a great game, too. Where were you guys? Where where were the fans? So I really yeah, I think what it comes down to beyond the fact that gas prices are stupid yeah. and even more stupid on their side of the border than ours, to be fair. Um, but you, so you have that affordability concerns, distance concerns, things like that. But I think what the people in Vancouver showed you is that if the team looks like they care about you and want to take care of you the people will come back and I've seen quite a few people mention that it just feels like they're being taken for granted in Saskatchewan as far as they're going to come. So here come pair inflated concession prices. We're not going to give you a whole lot of reason to, you know, like the seat, it seems like I'm seeing a lot of teams fans talk about, that 
season ticket gifts you're getting like say this beautiful ring i'm holding it <laughs> there's and, and, and then you hear from saskatchewan fans saying hey look i got a fridge magnet and it just get I, the the impression i'm getting from fans i follow of the writers is that feeling a little bit taken for granted right now and it just goes to show you that if you can if you can tell if you can remind your fans hey we we love you we want you here we don't we're not taking it for granted we want you to come and have a good time and you show them that they're gonna come uh bc bc went out reached out to the to the fan base that had been quite dormant to be fair over the past five years they haven't really had a reason to get excited to come out and see it the new group gave them a reason to be excited through a party brought in one republic they're not going to do that Mm -hmm. every week but they're showing the fans that they care they want them to come have a good time and the and vancouver responded Right. Well, see, that's key, though. That's key in Vancouver. Vancouver, I've said this many times, Vancouver is just not a great sports town. It's not. Look, they lost an NBA team. Who loses an NBA team? Right. It's just they're they're more about the entertainment. They're more about the arts and stuff. And of course, they love the Canucks, but hey, it's Canada. I mean, you know, it's an arty town, right? You got to provide the entertainment. Right. But you know, the thing is, like, I think it's all about economics in Calgary, Saskatchewan, places like that, dude. Look, I was on Twitter. I think it was today or yesterday. I forget. But, you know, these Calgary and Saskatchewan fans are offering advice like, OK, what you do is you you eat before the game and then you don't buy the beer. You bring like your own water. You know, it's like, what? That's Why should I have to fun. do this now? Exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's not, I don't know. I don't believe that in a town like Saskatchewan, just like a town like Buffalo, for example, it doesn't have to be about the entertainment. It has to be about dollar beer night. (laughs) You know, I mean, honestly, or or at least show your fans that you care about them and aren't, they aren't just a commodity. Do you think that's enough? I think that is. I think that's enough. Uh, that would make it, it, that would make me spend more money. Yeah, hmm. reducing your concession prices always helps. Reducing parking, making things more convenient, yeah. things like that are always going to help. But if a fan feels like a commodity and nothing else, that doesn't really make them want to come back again and again. Even you know, I would spend an extra dollar if if I was feeling good about my purchase. I may not go and sure. buy it at all if I don't feel like I'm uh, if I don't feel like uh, I matter. Mm-hmm. Especially in Saskatchewan, man, that's right. like their only world. That's their only world class franchise, dude. Come on. Right. And, and the, and the on. impression I'm get I'm getting from their fan base is they feel like they're just being taken for granted. The three hour drives they make from Saskatoon from uh, right. for shorter drives from places like Moose Jaw, Estevan, Mooseman. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're not all in Regina. They're all there spread around the province. I understand I understand how that is because well, yeah, the because in Green the Bay is big enough. Because in Green Bay it's about the same size, same city. And people from all over the state of Wisconsin go. Right. It's not right. just right there. 
So to right. give these people a reason to go make that three hour, four hour, six hour drive, even more than once or twice and be season ticket holders and really throw themselves into it. They've got to believe that they matter. They've got to believe that the team cares about them and wants them to have a good time. And all I'm seeing from Saskatchewan fans right now is they feel like dollar bills to the, to the organization. That's what, that's what people, Mm. that's what Edmonton's doing so well right now. Edmonton, Edmonton has nothing on the field right now. They're starting bare bones, but I am seeing more excitement out of Edmonton fans right now than I did when they were winning the Grey Cup in 2015. They're excited because they know they matter again. And that's what these teams need to do. And Montreal's doing that, doing a pretty good job of that, it seems like. They're getting the word out. Uh, That's obviously a spot where Toronto could improve, but the people, but, and the sad thing is Toronto has so many talented people working for them that are trying to send that message and aren't getting the backing from ownership from the looks of it. But that's what Ottawa was doing when they started up. If you give the, if you, if you let the fans know that they matter, if you try to do things that make them happy when they come, even if they walk away saying, Hey, the team didn't play great, but Hey, I'm coming back because I enjoyed my experience. That's, that's what you want to hear instead of, Hey, the team was great, but you know, I had to, I had to hoof it, hoof it across here. I had to drive three hours, still had to park a mile away, still had to, you know, if they don't have a good time, even if you're winning, it doesn't matter. They're not coming back. Mm -hmm. So if you could find a way to, to make your fans feel like they matter and give them a good time, they will come back. BC is proof positive of that. Edmonton's going to be proof positive of that this year. And we'll see where the rest of them go. See about Montreal. <clears throat> Ownership is very uh, positive about it, but I don't know. I haven't seen like too much of the marketing efforts or whatever the outreach efforts. Um, I guess maybe what Saskatchewan should do is get James Butler. Huh? Uh, About this, huh? Yeah, if anybody help. had James Butler on their fantasy team, Jesus, he probably work <laughs> at the same time. Well. Yeah, well, Nathan Rourke, yeah, yeah. Nathan Rourke ended up accounting for five touchdowns. James Butler had four in the first half. So um, either one of those guys, you are pretty good. If you had both, you probably won money in the pay leagues. Uh, You're probably in first place in your other leagues uh, if you had both of those guys. But I don't know. Was uh, Jimmy Butler, we should call him, was Jimmy Butler a known commodity? Going into this game, he might have been a value play, possibly. Okay, but I don't. But nobody um, was expecting that. Okay, can I mean I think the Lions showed what they are in an ideal situation capable of. Mm-hmm. It's very early in the season, but I think a lot of people will probably take them a bit more seriously um, than we had making predictions Uh, already. I could envision like a third place in the West for them, maybe um, without much problem, but I mean, how, what about the Elks? What about the Elks get what, 
Jeez. I mean, can we take away anything from this? Is there anything useful here? Yes. They may go 0 and 9 or 0 and 10 or something yeah. of the sort. It's yeah. going to take a while for Chris Jones to get the talent in there that he wants. Yeah. He's still got some guys from the last time around. He had, they did. They were pretty busy in the offseason, of course, but it's going to take them a long Super time busy. to find for Chris Jones to find Chris Jones guys. Remember 2016, Saskatchewan. They started off awful. Oh, yeah. They were 3 oh, and 15 yeah. the year before, and they were looked like they were heading that way too. But then they started to get hot near the end of the season. And I'm not meaning like, oh, they were on fire. They were going to beat anybody. But they, but after Labor Day Banjo Bowl, they became a team that could be, uh, that was in the games. Yeah. And that was quite it, a run. It took, it yeah. took, it took them a while to find that. But once Jones found guys he was comfortable with, uh, comfortable coaching, comfortable in his system. They took off and they haven't really slowed down since. But I don't see them doing that this year. They probably get their The wins that they'll get will be in the second half of the year. They might get one or two before Labor Day at most. But if they're going to make six, you know, five or six, then they're going to have four of those after Labor Day for sure. It's going to take a while for Edmonton to to come together in any sort of measure. Oh, and nine stuff <laughs> to imagine. I mean, when do they play the Alouettes? And that's, that's, that's the game they'll win. Right. Uh, I hope they win the Hamilton game. <laughs> Edmonton at right. Montreal week six. Oh God. Oh God. So it's, a, it's a, the, uh, that's still too early. You're fine. We're going to be back up to three and two at that point, and I'll have hope, and then we'll lose, and then we'll be three and three again. Jesus, I can see it already. All right. No, the one to worry about is week 17. That's the one to worry about. (laughs) Week 17? Jeez, if I haven't had a heart attack and the Alouettes are still in the running. Well, it's October 1st. I hope they're still in the running. I'll be happy. Week 17? Yeah. I'm not taking that for granted. Um, Okay. I mean, I don't mean mathematically. I mean, like, seriously. Like, they're spiritually in the running. (laughs) They really have a chance. All right. So, enough of the past. Let's talk the future. Uh, I actually have points for for these games. Quite interesting. They're only serving to muddy things up for me. Now, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to make these picks along with Joe, and I'm going to tell Joe right off the bat, I'm going to do the thing you're never supposed to do in football. I'm looking ahead to week three. Okay, so a very large part of my picks this week are going to be about trends. One of those trends is this. This past week, all four home teams win. Okay? In week three, I'm already thinking, obviously, three of the four home teams are going to win. So I'm going to pick a lot of road dogs this week. Well, a lot. There's four games. I'll probably take a few more road dogs than is strictly necessary. I'm very upset-minded this week. Unfortunately, not so much for this first game. Montreal Alouettes are three-and-a-half point only underdogs at Toronto Argonauts. Which is basically saying it's a pick at that point, right? Because Toronto's the home team. Yes. 
I guess. Yeah. This is kind of a foolish line, though, I really think. I mean, look, just pragmatically speaking, the Alouettes are on the shortest possible week and the Argonauts are on the longest possible week. Okay. (laughs) They're coming off the bye. All right. The Alouettes just added a guy who's supposed to be a key component of their offense. All right. The running game, as far as I'm concerned, at least is non-existent. When are we going to get Cameron Artis Payne back? Is what I would like to know. Um, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see Montreal covering this. I think if Toronto is really like ninety percent of the team that most of us think they are, they should win this game. They're at home. I don't. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Toronto's going to win this by at least a touchdown. I would say it might be close, but I they're going to win by a touchdown. They're going to cover this. I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to okay, say. Great. And, and the reason I say that is because Toronto is coming off the bye after a long preseason. It's going to take them a little bit to get their wheel to get their wheels in motion. And Montreal last week played well early on. It, they sl- their offense slowed down after Sandback was hurt, of course, but they put they came out hot against Calgary in Calgary. This will be a shorter road trip. They've had a week, so it's Thursday yeah. to Thursday. So we're not talking about short rest here. We're talking about a Toronto team no. that may take a few drives to get back up and running because it's been a few weeks since they played and how much they played their starters, probably not a whole lot. So I'm thinking Montreal can get on top early and stay that way. So I'm going to go with Montreal. Yeah, maybe the smart bet here is to take Alouettes at the half. <laughs> I think Alouettes minus a couple of points at the half. Might be your play there. Be plus a couple of points. Yeah, Alouettes win the first half. Toronto wins the game. Um, all right. Now, <laughs> this one is a bit of an eye-opener, Joe. I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm suspicious here. Winnipeg Blue Bombers, two and a half point favorites at Ottawa. Just two and a half. Just two and a half. So um, I, I have a feeling here. I, I, I'm going to go Ottawa. I'm, I'm going to go Ottawa. I just... How many games in a row has Winnipeg won now? <laughs> that that, that, what, what that actually at? matter? Yeah, the games that matter. Uh, the last time matter. they lost was week was game three of last season to Toronto. Yeah. They did yeah. lose the two at the end of last season where they were not playing their full contingent of players. If that's what you mean. Right. Yeah. Right. No, no, no. Now, of course, we're, we're not going to count the asterisk games. Um yeah, I'm going to I'm going to just I'm going to I'm going to buck the trends. I'm going to go with Ottawa here. I was pretty impressed with what I saw in week 1. Um I'm not sure that Winnipeg offense at least schematically is 100% yet. And you know, nobody goes 18 and 0. I think there's going to be a lot of parity in this league. Um I I arranged it so that after a 3 most teams will be two and one or four and two. Uh, so I'm going to go with Ottawa in the upset. here. Well, Brian Ballantyne would disagree with you about the 18 and 0, but he'd be talking about Calgary. Um, so the- well, we had a guy on the show last week that picked Edmonton to win. So 
You know, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Favoritism has no place in picking games. <laughs> no, but the reason I'm taking the Bombers this week is because I feel like Ottawa's the sexy pick. They played well. Oh, really? Well, they played two and a half point spread. Right. They played yeah. well in Winnipeg. They got the jump on the defending champs. The Bombers did not come out hot at all. They, it wasn't last year's team. That was something else. It's almost like they needed a they needed a game to get in gear. Oh, yeah. I think with Winnipeg having seen how Ottawa was playing on attacking them, they've got a week's worth of tape on Ottawa's defense now. I feel like they have the coaching advantage as a whole. And I feel like they'll also be pissed at the way they played. They got away with two points last week because they were the veteran team and they knew how to close things out. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I think yeah. they have something to prove again. They've shown that they have something to prove. Now that they now that they can't sit there enough, they know they can't sit there and rest on their laurels of two in a row and everybody's going to roll over for us, which is something they knew intellectually, but now they know it emotionally. I think they come out and have a better game this week. And it pains me to say so it because think- I like I like the way Ottawa looks right now. And I hate to say that they're going to start out 0 2, and I hope they can bounce back off of that. But I think Winnipeg's going to come out. They could, they got the chip on their shoulder again. They have something to prove again. Yeah. So to, to me, on the Ottawa side, that, that, that was, it's like a numbers thing because, you know, after last, I mean, again, overreaction after week one, but I mean, this looks like a team that could go at least nine and nine. Sure. Why yeah. not? Why not? And so and that's one thing know, I'm trying to avoid is making a large overreaction on one week. Right. Right. But again, like I always say, the difference between week zero and week one is huge. Right? It's huge. We now know so much more <laughs> after this week than we knew seven days ago. You know, or I should say like 10 days ago. Uh, we, we know so much more now. So um, we, I can make those overgeneralizations. Uh, all right. So this is the one that really appeals to me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to. Are you going to go over? Uh, like, like, what do you see for a score? Is this the high scoring game? Or do you think it's still taking a while to get going here? I think Saskatchewan plays Edmonton. So that'll be the high scoring game by one team. <laughs> so, no, I'm not going to say this is the highest scoring game at all because, well, we saw okay. BC outscored. Like, yeah, most of the other yeah, games. Yeah, the other games. They, they outscored all the other games by themselves. Yep. So, no, I think Saskatchewan does that next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're back. Uh, beat you guys in the first half. <laughs> I mean, they have one player beat you guys in the first mm-hmm. half. They beat, they beat Winnipeg, the defending champs, all by himself. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay, here's the line I really like, uh, especially if you're a better. This has some good opportunities for you. Calgary Sam Peters, one point underdog at Hamilton. Wow. <laughs> All right. Hamilton getting a lot of respect after that show they put on and the show that Calgary put on. <laughs> I'm really baffled by this line. This this is the one that makes me think that bookmakers know something I don't. Um, there's absolutely no way. Look, on all levels, I'm going to take the stamps in this game. 
I'm going to go with them in terms of the intelligence. I'm going to go with them in terms of the coaching. I'm going to go with them in terms of they're hotter. And I'm going to go with them because I have decided that I hate Hamilton this season. So I, and, and the reason why this is a good bet for betters is okay. If you want the one point to cover you on the tie. Okay. (laughs) But, if you think Calgary is going to win this game, just take it to win outright, right? Plus one is minus 115. Outright is minus 105. So, you know, on 100 bucks, that's like 10 bucks more. So you might as well just take them to win. As I think they're going to win. Something tells me that it's not that easy. And I don't even know why. But I'm thinking <laughs> Hamilton at home. They came out and played played such a rotten had a rotten start they know that the east is stronger this year and the standings don't bear that out but that's week one let's like get too carried away by that i just think they've got something to prove too and i think if calgary comes out and starts the way they started last week they're going to get themselves behind the eight ball and not be able to catch up and I guess the question is going to be, is it going to be Bo or Jake? And how long do they stick with Bo if he struggles? Yeah, see, that's the thing. I think the smartest thing they could possibly do would be to start with Meyer mm-hmm. and then go to Bo if Meyer struggles, right? Because yeah, they're probably going to keep us all guessing until game time, right? That's what they should right. do. That would be the smart play. It's just... You know, make Hamilton try and prepare for both of them. Yeah, you know? logic. And, logic but, is screaming at me to grab Calgary, but I've been thinking about it for like two days, and I just, I get, I just had this gut feeling that Hamilton's gonna going to come out the way they should have from week one, and they didn't. You have to take, you have to take Hamilton because if you don't, you're going to take four away teams. <laughs> Pretty much. So take Hamilton. Pretty much. Uh, take I Hamilton am. Ta- because- I am taking Hamilton. I'm not going to step away from that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, so it's, it's- and it's very rare that I don't have a couple of good reasons to back me up. But this time, I just don't feel like I do. I, this is a totally a gut pick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is early CFL season, man. I can totally justify gut picks, especially if I'm actually not spending money on it. Yeah, you know, totally because. I mean, again, like, like, you know, nobody's going to go 18 and 0. And, and if you just went at the beginning of the season, you'd go, yeah, sure. Winnipeg's going to win all these games. You know, you'd be Ryan, you know, because as a Calgary fan, as somebody who sees the world through horseman, you know, tinted lenses, you know, of course he can't see them losing, but they're going to lose. You have to take an upset somewhere. You have to, you know, especially if you're betting. <laughs> so. So, yeah, go with the gut feeling, Joe. Go for it. Because, again, you have to take at least one home team, I think, if you're if you're actually going to play CFL, pick them. I sure um, am. And because I'm... <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, because I'm sure you're going to go with Saskatchewan, eight-point favorite at Edmonton. That's it? Right? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to get a CFL line that's higher than that. I think more because like I think the, the red blacks. 
the the red blacks got a couple of double digit ones last season but it's rare these lines on the cfl are so much smaller than on the nfl if this were an nfl game this would be like 13 and a half easy easy uh but yeah so yeah, it's it's not going to be this week for Edmonton, huh, Joe? No, I don't think so. It's going to take more time. It's going to it's going to take them till Labor Day, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my feeling too. My feeling too. This this won't really be close unless you know. And Saskatchewan in recent years has had the propensity to take take time off. You know, they do tend to hold back. Like I think last week. This is what you were saying last week. Why didn't they put them away? And they do kind of have this tendency to sort of you know, lay back for a little while and take it easy. And like, ah, we got this, you know, and sometimes they don't got this. <laughs> they nope, All right. nope. Believe me, they should have had the West final about six times last year and didn't do it. So. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Let's just do a little bit of uh fantasy talk. Um, I know it's ghost to talk about your own teams. Nobody, nobody likes to hear about your own teams. Uh I'll just say in brief, I, we're playing in this in the Canadian fo- Football Podcasters League, so I guess that sort of has relevance to this show, which which could be one of the most important things too in our reign is this rise of fantasy football and gambling in the CFL. But in any case, because that's something we've we've seen in this past six seven years for sure. Um, I guess. Okay, how can Okay, the big question for me is, of course, the big pick was, <laughs> of course, at quarterback, um, Nathan Rourke. This week, he has been priced accordingly. Well, no, this so, week he's this week he's on a buy. So you can't uh, this week him. is off. Yeah, this week is off. Right. That's right. That's that's what I wanted to say. Um, so. What do you think for quarterback this week? I had penciled in Meyer. I just assumed that he was going to play and he's cheap. Yeah, I would I would just double check that for sure before you went ahead and did that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But for right now, I've got a bookmarked until games kick off tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, I'm going to bookmark that. But oh, actually, I'm playing you this week. So you can't tell me. I'm what not going to tell. I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Should we even be I talking will... anymore? We're we're supposed to be enemies. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. I should be complaining about how I lost this week, but nah. Um, well, I just wanted to offer a couple up here. I I really think that you should probably grab one of the Alouettes wide receivers, right? At least for this week. Take Lewis Weinicke or White. Now, Lewis is still outrageously priced, so you're probably not going to go for him. I think Weinicke is top eight or so receivers as well. So, But they're going to get a lot of numbers, so I might as well go for them. Uh, like I said, I'm looking at Meyer. I'm thinking about Antwi as well because he's basically our only runner there in Montreal. Um, Richard Sindani for... Um, for who is it? Calgary, I guess, looked pretty interesting. Um, he had seven catches on nine targets for 101 yards, and none of them was over 20 yards. So I was thinking he might be interesting, especially against teams that have some difficulty in that 
in that short range game. Um, I thought that might be a good pickup. Maybe not this week against Hamilton. Jury's still out on their defense. Um, any other thoughts on, on fantasy this week that won't completely destroy your strategy? Uh, I would say in general, what the strategy I've been employing so far is to see a, the cheapest team I feel comfortable running with, leaving okay. the flex for last, and then seeing how high and, and seeing how, what kind of a player I can grab with the flex. And last week that netted me Kadeem Carey. This week it's not going to be so much. Okay. But I guess the other strategy I would employ for the moment until we see some other, until we see a week where this doesn't apply is to see which team is facing Edmonton and see if you can load up yeah. on them. Because it was, was clear that. Yeah. that NBC is a team that nobody really predicted to be much higher than fourth. Maybe some people had them third, but nobody's having them. Nobody's putting them in the gray cup for, for, for as far as I could tell. And they blew mm. the doors off of Edmonton. So until Edmonton can show me that they can field the team that can compete in the league, that's a sound strategy would be to see what you can load up against them until they give you an excuse not to. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Now, what about, um, okay. In this game, there's only seven players, right? And we're talking about, yeah, you only to be s- clear, we're talking about the CFL fantasy game right. uh, through the CFL website. Yes. So you have quarterbacks, yeah, two running backs, two receivers, uh, a flex, which could be a running back or receiver and a defense. And in the league right. we're playing in, we need to fill in all seven slots. So having a defense is going to cost somewhere in the range of four th- 3000 to $4,000. So that's it. Some players tend to not do that and have more money to throw at a high talented star. But uh, the way the pricing seems to work is you just, you definitely want to be able to fill your full roster with players that can at least get you something and hope you've hit the big one. If you can even fit a big salary on your team. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with those big salaries is, you know, it's just like winning 18 games in a row. Nobody nobody's going to, nobody, if you, if you pay, if you pay through the nose for this, for the mm-hmm. most expensive player, he'd better contribute. Yeah. This is, this is DFS folks. <laughs> this is daily fantasy. This is, oh God. Not my favorite format. I got to say. Um, okay. But let's talk about this real quick. Last Last thought about this. Um, let's talk about that one spot that I always spend way too much time obsessing over defense. Um, now, again, like in this league, we only have seven slots, right? So how important do you think of defense? Like, okay, for example, again, I'm looking at the riders who, who had eight sacks, four forced fumbles, at least three of them, they recovered and two picks, and they're going up against the Elks. I mean, I should be this week. I should be paying like two thousand more for them than another defense. And yet, right? and or, yet, they're not priced that way. Right, right. But I mean, how much? How much thought do you put into defense? I put in just enough. Um, I uh-huh. basically I look for the uh, unless there's a defense that's way over, overpriced compared to everybody else. I look for a matchup where I think the opposing team is going to turn the ball over. Hmm. 
so a lot of times I'll go if Montreal's on a on a on a sloppy streak, I'll see who they're facing. Or we've seen Edmonton come Edmonton, we know is not gonna be that good. Well, maybe I go find the BC defense. It almost seems like yeah, this week seems to be an obvious choice with Edmonton facing Saskatchewan, but you do yeah. want to find a, a defense that does produce turnovers and sacks, right? And yeah. B, which teams give up the most? And if you can find one of them playing the other, that's that's exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, usually the in the draft leagues in the NFL, you just that's what you do is you just if you have a crummy defense, you just filter it out and you wait to see who's playing, you know, the Jets or whoever, you know, whoever the worst team is, you just, or the Lions. You know, it's a classic one. Who's ever playing them? Just fill in their defense. You're good. Um, right. Okay. Well, I can't imagine that we need to take up anybody's time any more than that. I can't imagine that we haven't touched upon past, present, future of the CFL any less than we need to. Um, Joe, what would you like to tell our listeners as we head out of here this week? I think they've heard enough of us too. That was probably one of our, <laughs> or, so much fun to have actual football to talk about instead of taking guesses as to where things are going. Now we've got some data points to play with. Yay, data points. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of teams look really fun, except for Hamilton and Edmonton. Everybody else looks like a lot of fun so far. And I imagine Toronto will be fun. So for my co-host, Joe Pritchard, I'm Oz Davis saying, hey, enjoy the week two games. And we'll talk to you next week on the Rouge, White, and Blue. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.